and welcome to the second episode of this new series of podcasts from the Leaders Performance Institute and our partners Kaiser. My name's Sarah Jahangir and over the next few months you'll hear from human performance experts from around the world discussing best practice, the role of technology and what the future of training and rehabilitation might look like. In this second episode of the Leaders Forms Institute editor, John Porch caught up with Aaron Wellman. Aaron is a strength and conditioning coach of the New York Giants. His arrival at the Giants saw him overhaul the team's off-season and in-season training programme, and the result was a significant decrease in career-ending injuries suffered by Giants players. The team's practice facility in East Rutherford, New Jersey, is fully stocked with Kaiser equipment. Coming up, you'll hear Aaron delve into the goals of his S&C programme, working within the time constraints of the NFL, and taking the opportunity to educate players in their own development. Enjoy the conversation. Aaron, thank you for being the second guest on the Kaiser Series podcast. Yeah, thanks. thanks for having me on. Now, I've never been to an NFL practice facility myself, but I'm guessing there are plenty of S&C modalities for the athletes to use. Yeah, you know, there are. And we have a wide range of, of athletes, not only from a training background and a chronological age, um, but uh, just, you know, a, a year as, as far as just years in the league and, and a lot of as technology improves and new technology emerges, we try to take care of our athletes as best we can. I wanted to take you back to your earliest days at the Giants back in 2016. One of your major accomplishments at the time was a change in the off-season and in-season training regimens of the playing group. What was it that needed to change, and how did you go about implementing that change? Yeah, that's that's a good question. It's a really broad question. Having not been here prior to 2016, you know, I wasn't. I'm not real privy to how things were done before. Um, obviously, when we when we enter a situation like this, we have a, a vision for not only uh, how we think things should work, but but obviously some outcome measures too that we'd like to, we'd like to work towards. And so, you know, we, one of the big things that, that we always go back to, and our North Star for our program is always gonna be movement. And, you know, movement efficiency in particular. So we talk about the, the goals of our program being to maximize our strength, our speed, our ability to change direction and our movement efficiency, all the while minimizing inappropriate orthopedic stress on the body and by inappropriate i mean it could be anything from improper loading too much too soon too frequently but it could also be uh, loading uh on movement patterns that are deficient and so and so that's what we talk about so we always go back to looking at at movement we feel like movement provides us a really robust platform to not only mitigate risk of injury, but improve performance. When we start with our players and and obviously understanding that several individual differences, not only in training history and injury history exists, but also intra and inter and inter individual differences in how we respond to training, you know, athletes outside of physics, um, there are very few absolutes within our realm, right? Within the realm of strength conditioning or, or performance in general and understanding that, that athletes are human beings, that they have lives, they have stressors outside of this. They're organisms, not not machines. So input doesn't always equal output, right? So, you know, a, a even the best training program won't work for a certain percentage of our athletes. And so understanding that and understanding the individualized response to the training uh, that's implemented is, is a big part of it. 
And what are some of the ways that you as an S&C coach try to engage with the athletes beyond the science of what it is that you're trying to do? Yeah, I think that's, that's as I mentioned before, understand that they're human beings, right? And so when they leave the facility, we see them at the facility. But when they leave the facility, we all have lives outside of the facility. We understand that, that stress is stress and we have one bucket to recover from stress. So understanding uh, one of our players who just whose wife just had a baby. Uh, understanding that that uh, sleep may be hard to come by, and understand how how may we we may be able to alter the training program or augment the recovery program to facilitate recovery. Um, as far as just when, when we're talking about to our players and communication and and conveying ideas, it, it's never you know it's it's never about how much we know. It's about how much we can effectively communicate to our players. And so when they walk away from a conversation, do they understand? uh how we what we've communicated to them and so you know i always think when, when you're talking to any group of people whether it's our players or just a group of people at a conference that you know there's three parts that you tell them tell them what you're about to to say say it and then tell them what you said right so you kind of you you make sure because I, i've had several instances where athletes have walked away and not really understood the main message it was trying to convey and so most of our players for us as coaches just kind of want us to get straight to the point. Others, others like to see evidence and they like to see, I had a player two weeks ago, wanted me to email him some scientific uh, supporting evidence and, and not because he was questioning anything because he was truly interested. So uh, those players are interested in research on anything we do and, and we want them to ask why, you know, that's a, when, when a player asks why that, that gives us an opportunity to educate them. And um, it also, we know that when a player asks why, we have a captive audience. You talk there about educating the players and having a captive audience. You're still some way out from training camp. What is the plan in the meantime? We start our off-season program on Monday, so April 15th. Um, we start the program. We'll have every veteran player back in town. And we really, just to give you a brief idea of the NFL calendar, from our last game was played December 30th. From December 30th until April 15th, our uh, communication with our players is limited. Our ability to track our players in any sense or to know what they're doing is severely limited, right? So I'm not allowed to call them and ask how training's going. They can certainly call me if they have questions, but but we're unable really to to get any type of feedback as far as the physical state that they are going to arrive on April 15th or in really hand-in-hand hand, their level of readiness to undergo subsequent training. So Largely, the first week is a is a large evaluation week, right? We get 70 to 75 guys back. We're not sure really if any of them have engaged in high-speed running. They've been given a workout to take home. Uh, but again, there's no checks and balances in the offseason. So so we we do play it more conservative the first couple of weeks. And the theme really, and, and that's, that's termed phase one. We have two weeks from April 15th, the week of April 15th and April 22nd, where it's phase one and involves about an hour and a half to two hours a day of strength conditioning and another two hours a day of meeting. And that, that occurs four days a week. So the athletes are in the building only about four hours a day. And so we perform a movement assessment on them right when they get back. We try to get a, uh, a snapshot of the level of readiness, the physical training state that they've arrived in. Uh, we do have a program obviously in place, but we are quick to alter that program based upon what we see out of the group. Um, Maybe they can handle slightly more volume than we we anticipated. And maybe like last year, uh, that last day, we had to cut some volume. Um, but the theme of that first two weeks is really 
teaching them movements, specifically acceleration, but more important to me is deceleration, right? Double leg, single leg deceleration. There, there is a emphasized eccentric component in that first two weeks, just simply to prepare the soft tissues for the accelerations and decelerations that are going to take place in phase two. Because after those first two weeks, now they're, they're on the field with their coaches. Wide receivers are running routes. Defensive backs are, are planning and, and, and breaking uh, offensive alignment. Defensive linemen are going through position-specific movement demands. And so that phase one, those two weeks, are really just to prepare their, their bodies, in particular soft tissues, for the demands of phase two. That's the players, Aaron. But what about the coaches? When it comes to S&C, how are you looking to communicate with them? With the coaches, again, the coaches in the, in the first phase, it's really just strength and conditioning coaches, right? So we know, because our staff was in place last year, we know what a phase two, so the third week of the offseason, we know what that day looks like as far as what the loads entail, how much high-speed running is involved, how many high-intensity excels and decels are involved, and what, and, and kind of we have a pretty good indication of what player load looks like and so what we do as a performance staff in phase one those two weeks is prepare them for those demands now when phase two comes around uh, when they're on the field with the coaches i meet every day particularly with our offensive coaches and every about every other day with our defensive coaches just to get an idea in their minds of how much high speed running may or may not be part of that particular session at that point, we plan our – because we we will get them on the back end of that 45-minute practice, and we will have 15 to 20 minutes to condition them. Now, there are some days when, when, based upon what they've done within that session, that we don't believe that extra high-speed running will serve the athlete well, right? They're, they're at the loads that we want to see. But then there are other days when maybe there's more teaching going on the field. There's not as much conditioning or running. And so we, we then add some high-speed running or even some tempo run to contribute to that load. Um, but that is all, but, but again, that is communicated on the front end. And then we will track our athletes in real time via GPS on the field and get a pretty good idea of the positional characteristics of that particular practice. And then we will will add to that. And then again, at the end of the day, once we've added some load, we will reevaluate uh, and kind of get a direction for positionally how we want to program for the next day. And what sort of outcomes are you looking for by the time of training camp? Well, again, in the off-season program, the outcomes we're looking for is did we prepare our athletes? And I think this is a, I think this is the question at any time of year for any athlete because these are just these are simply physiological principles, right? Did we prepare our athletes for the demands that they are going to encounter in the next phase? Okay, and so phase one, we are preparing them for phase two, and phase two, we're preparing them for what we call OTAs or practices in phase three. Once we get to phase three of our off-season program and our players are practicing, that re- those practices typically resemble a training camp practice, and we have 10 of them. And so we've now built load through phase one and phase two that we think will be protective of our athletes in phase three, at least from a non-contact soft tissue standpoint. And so now, now we're going through phase three, and, and we are constantly monitoring our athletes, communi- communicating with our coaching staff. Um really just to see any any data that that is bothersome uh i.e a significant amount of high speed running that's inordinate for for an individual once the off-season program ends which is middle of june we kind of go into this period again um and this is i think this is one of the biggest 
constraints, and I can't speak for any every NFL strength coach, but I think I speak for most of them, that one of our largest constraints is simply the calendar. So there's very little opportunity to build chronic workloads, right, providing resilience to our athletes. And so consequently, not only do, do we begin our off-season program, but again, at the initiation of training camp, we begin uh, with a really poor understanding of the training history of our athletes. So in the middle of June, our athletes, our veterans are gone, and they're gone for about six weeks. And they and they report then the day before training camp practices begin, and less than 24 hours later, they're on the field practicing. Uh, we certainly provide them recommendations that if they follow these recommendations, it will gradually build training load to prepare their bodies for the position-specific demands of training camp practices. Um, but again, <clears throat> we really there is not a really a check and balance system in place at that time, and we really can't check on our athletes. So the onus is on our athletes to prepare themselves to follow the program, and, and which which means the large portion of the off-season program is, and there's a large educational component to teach the athletes what we do and why we do things so that when they're away that they can make good choices. So it really is a question of having them in the room, feeding them the information, having those one-to-one conversations so that they really can make informed decisions for themselves. Constantly. And, and you know, the, and there's a lot of, you know, the one thing I really enjoy about the NFL is the educational component. And I really enjoy when, and I mentioned before, when athletes ask why, and, and most of their questions are around why we're doing a particular exercise or what a particular exercise works. And so, again, that gives us a chance to educate them. Um, and every time they ask a question, I mentioned before, we have a captive audience. And so my questions to them are always, you know, when we're doing exercises, hey, how do you believe, how can you see this helping you on the field? I want to lead them down that path of of the the exercises in this weight room are a means to an end. And, and that end is improved performance improved performance of your specific position uh, and those demands that are required of you on game day. And so I, I, I like to lead them down a path. I like them to verbalize to me how they see this exercise contributing to their on-the-field performance. And so when they when they can make those distinct connections, then, then buy-in on their part is pretty easy. to the conversation in a moment but first a quick word about Kaiser. For nearly four decades Kaiser has influenced the training of athletes, fitness enthusiasts and rehabilitation experts worldwide with better fitness products that unite both components of human performance, the force you produce and the speed at which you produce it. More than 80% of the top professional sports teams in the world now train on Kaiser machines, including every baseball team in the major leagues, the soccer champions of nine countries, several American football champions and countless Olympians. They're joined by everyone from NASA to Navy SEALs, medical experts and rehabilitation specialists, and major gyms like LA Fitness. We're delighted to have them as a partner at the Leaders Performance Institute. And for more information, please visit kaiser.com. And now, back to the Kaiser Human Performance Series. Aaron, before you arrived at the Giants, you spent time in college sport. You were at Indiana, Michigan and Notre Dame, to name but a few. If we stick to football in this instance, what are some of the fundamental differences between working with student athletes and NFL players? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Like you mentioned, I was at six different universities for almost 20 years. Um, and I, I think that, well, the, the, the most glaring difference is what we just talked about is simply the NFL calendar. In college athletics at the university level, uh, if we start in January, a strength coach will, will have the players from the middle of January, typically all the way through till about the middle of May. And those players may leave for a couple of weeks. And then that strength conditioning coach and performance staff will again get those players for eight weeks prior to the initiation of preseason training camp. And so in, at the university level, you really have a your finger on the pulse of the team, um, both from a psychological aspect and a physiological aspect, so that at any time um, a coach or, or a member of the coaching staff can can ask you a question about the player. And as a strength coach and perform, member of the performance staff, you have a pretty good answer. I mean, you know physiologically right where that player is and where he needs to go. And you know that you've built a chronic training load heading into camp. With the NFL, it's it's really completely opposite, right? Our players leave at the end of the season. Uh, they're left to their own devices. We certainly send them a training program, but the, but again, there are there is no accountability per se to that program. Hopefully, the player feels an accountability to himself and his teammates uh, to perform the work. Um, so again, it leaves you with a it's kind of the there's two times a year where there's kind of a black hole, right? In January, February, March, and then again in July, at two critical times of the year. Um, whereas a strength coach, you just don't have you don't have the answers you have you want you'd like to have when they come back. But having said that, we all th those league those rules are league wide, and so we all play by the same rules. So the question would be, how do we do it better than the other teams? It certainly sounds like time is of the essence. And last time on the Kaiser Series, we spoke to Jimmy Pritchard, who is the Director of Strength and Conditioning at the Ski and Snowboard Club in Vail, Colorado, obviously working with winter athletes. And he spoke of the importance of distinguishing between internal and external queuing with athletes. Would you say that works the same way in the NFL? Yes, I, I, think, that's, I think that's important, not only for performance staff to understand, of course, um, a lot of this work most recently has been done by Nick Winkleman. I know Nick did a, a PhD really looking specifically at this at this language we use to communicate with our athletes. Uh, I think it's important from, I have a 14-year-old son, and, and so external cueing uh, from junior high, high school, college, and all the way through the NFL is important. I think it's also important not only as a performance staff, but as a coaching staff to understand um, the external cues and the links between performance following such cues. But yeah, I think that the research has, has grown and that's just, you bring up a good point because that's one way of, of how do we, how can we, we know that every performance staff in the NFL is, is coaching their athletes now and they're performing sets and reps and exercises and trying to periodize training as best they can, but how do we do it better? And so the language we use and the communication style we use, Again, it's not what we know, it's what our athletes heard and what they've taken away from what we've tried to communicate to them. So how we communicate is as important or more important as what we communicate, for sure. I suspect you've already touched upon this, Aaron, but what have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned as an SNC in the NFL? I think two things. As you mentioned, I've mentioned it previously, I think the educational component, not because our players are uneducated, our players are very educated. Our players have access 
to a lot of information. And I think because they have access to so much information and because they may not be as experienced and have the filter to decide what strategies best suit them and what strategies could potentially be detrimental, educating them, I think, is critical uh, because they do have access to information. And look, we all have access as coaches to the same information, but it's how we filter this information. And so the educational piece, and then Another thing I really like at this level is just partnering with the athlete. You know, we're, we're going to write several strength and conditioning programs, not only based upon position, but also based upon some other measures from what we see with our movement screen to any symmetrical reporting that we're doing to how they perform on the field. And so we, we feel like we have a fairly robust training program. And I think I can get players 90% of the way there. And I always tell them the last 10% is up to them. So the, the communication piece, the player, the athlete and I are going to lock arms and work on that last 10% together. And what I mean by that is I may write a program for you and then I want to know what you're feeling on the field because exercises are a means to an end. So when you go on the field to perform your craft, how are you feeling moving to the right versus moving to the left? How are you feeling acceleration versus deceleration? How are your fatigue levels? Are they any different or your speed any different at the beginning of practice to the end or the beginning of the game to the end? And give, you know, what I'm looking for is you to give us feedback. And if it's a potential movement puzzle, give us the problem and let us try to get to work and solving it for you. You cite the communication and the education pieces there. Would you cite those as your biggest successes at the Giants so far? Uh, yeah, I think it is. And I think it's a daily endeavor, right? I mean, it's it's something that, that the educational component and and explaining your system to the players it's no different than, than an offensive coach or a defensive coach explaining the philosophy of the offensive play calling or the defensive play calling. For, for us, it's the same thing, is, is making sure our athletes have a firm grasp of the time of year, what we believe is important this time of year, why it's important, and not only what they're doing today, but how, is this, how does this relate to our train, the training program that we're going to be performing in two weeks, right? How are we building load? How does, how does one exercise that we're doing today how does that prepare us for what we're going to do in phase two? And then most importantly, as players, this is their job. They're the CEO of CEOs of their bodies. How does what we're doing in the weight room, how is this going to help you most importantly perform your craft at a higher level? I've always been curious about bye weeks during the NFL season, Aaron. Are they an important time for an SNC? Yeah, bye week typically involves a game on Sunday and then the next week off. And so typically what happens is the players will be in the room, I think, through Tuesday, perhaps through Wednesday. And, and they get about five days off. So we'll call it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. So to answer your question, no, it's not a – you know, there's two ways to look at it as a, as a performance staff. And, and it obviously, to me, it really depends on what time of – what week of the season the bye week falls on. Does it fall in week three? Does it fall in week eight? Is it towards the latter half of the season? I think that – that's a determining factor with how you treat those the uh, bye week. But there's two ways to look at it, right? Some coaches will say, and I've done this in the past, where, okay, they have all this rest. Okay, we can really increase the intensity and the volume of whatever, whatever exercise that we're programming for that week. Or we can say, let's keep intensity and volume the same, still allow them time to stabilize these loads, and then use these extra days off as a form of, for lack of a better term, super compensation, or probably in that week, simply compensation where they we try to get them back to baseline levels uh, however there there are concerns with five days I, I whenever we have four or five days without 
high speed running, I do get concerned about soft tissue injury risk. I do get concerned about some tendon issues because we know the tendons really like consistent loading. And so depending how the player handles those five days, um, that determines a large part of, of, again, the readiness with which they return to us on that uh, subsequent Monday. I wanted to wrap things up, Aaron, by asking if there's anything we should be keeping an eye on in terms of S&C in the NFL over the next, say, 12 to 18 months. No, I, I think that, you know, <laughs> the field, there are some fundamentals in the field, and that's why they're called fundamentals, and I think every coach engages in those. I think what's ever-evolving is our knowledge of potential programming, right, and the technology and the tools that we have at our disposal. Right. And so uh, the, the tools and technology continue to evolve. And, but, I, but I always go back to it's about the people in the building. And so we can, we can glean a lot of data from several, if, if we leverage several pieces of technology. We've decided to do a few things really well. And we've decided to get the people in the building that are evaluating the data. And that's, this includes not only our performance staff, but our coaching staff. But we want to work just as a team and be, you know, singularly focused on our players' health, our players' well-being. But again, I think I think that technology is continuing; it will continue to evolve, and it'll be just what what pieces of technology do you want to utilize and do you want to undertake within your, i.e., performance program or monitoring program. Um, and I think we have I think that's a slippery slope. But sometimes I think we have to be careful adopting the latest and greatest. Um, but but for me, it'll always go back to the people that we have in our building. Movement screens are continuing to come out, but movement screen has to be prudent, right? And it has to follow proper interpretation, intelligent exercise prescription, and competent instruction in, in order for it to mitigate risk. And those last three buckets I mentioned all have to do with the people in your building. And Aaron, that might be a lovely place to wrap things up. Thank you so much for coming on to speak to me today. All right. Thank you. I appreciate your time. 